Welcome this evening to the People's School for Marxist Leninist Studies. It is Thursday, August 20th. So we're having a guest lecturer is going to be doing the introduction to socialist realism, which is part of the Arts and Cultural Commission in the PCUSA. All right, great. Well, thank you all for coming. I've been preparing for this for a little while, but my notes and thoughts are all over the place, so this is going to be more of an open, free-form lecture than reading a particular thing. This class is basically an introduction to socialist realism. Socialist realism was essentially an art movement that comprised various different forms and various different medias throughout the history of the 20th century. It was defined by an emphasis on working-class proletarian artwork, usually with an emphasis on realistic depictions of everyday life of workers and the value of labor as a whole. Just to give a little bit of background on it, I wanted to go a little bit into the state of artwork before the Russian Revolution. For the average Russian person before the revolution, your access to art would have been severely limited due to illiteracy and due to a lack of transportation and a lack of wealth in order to access various different types of art. Most art that most Russian peasants, which were the majority of the population, would have had access to before the revolution would have usually been in the form of religious artwork, such as religious iconography. Usually, you would only see paintings, for example, on the walls of your church, and that would be about it. You'd have access to music, which would usually be religious songs or folk songs or that kind of thing. But overall, the average artistic consumption of a Russian person or a person in Eastern Europe before the revolution was extremely limited. And this was actually something that the Bolshevik party very quickly set out to address as soon as the revolution happened through a various variety of different means. So before the Russian revolution, and during the Russian revolution, there were several competing artistic trends that were taking off in urban centers within Russia primarily. And these were usually confined to intellectuals for the most part, people who could get educated on art and political theory and how those two things were interconnected. We had two or three major competing art movements and art theories that were being developed at this time. The first of them was constructivism, then there was futurism, and then there was traditionalism. And all of these three things were different strands of revolutionary art theory that were prominent within left-wing Russian circles not always necessarily the Bolshevik party, but left-wing circles. I could take questions now. Would you say that those three competing art forms dialectically came together to form what we know as socialist realism? I'm going to get into that. I would say yes. One of the major things I wanted to touch on in this is that socialist realism was a mixture of old and new Russian tradition, I would say. They blended a lot of futurism and a lot of constructivism with traditional Russian styles that ordinary Russian citizens would have been familiar with. And so one of the major things that Lenin talked about was there were some strains of the Russian left-wing movement that wanted to completely do away with all forms of old artistic expression. Alexander Bogdanov, who was a Bolshevik intellectual and artist and sci-fi writer in Russia, he argued that the radical reformation of society to communist principles meant little if any bourgeois art would prove useful. Some of his more radical followers advocated the destruction of libraries and museums. 
but Lenin deplored the rejection of the beautiful because it was old and explicitly described art as needing to call on its heritage. He said, proletarian culture must be the logical development of the store of knowledge mankind has accumulated under the yoke of capitalist landowner and bureaucratic society. So this is going to be a common theme that we see throughout the discussion tonight. It's a mixture of old and new and building upon the old. It wasn't a complete rejection of traditional art in Russia. In John Reed's 10 Days That Shook the World, he describes the storming of the Winter Palace and the Red Guards and Bolshevik soldiers. At first, some of them started to grab things, but eventually they realized, they said, no, this is the property of the people. And so they, by themselves, organized committees outside, and everyone leaving the palace had to empty their pockets and return all the property that was stolen. The All-Russian Congress of Soviets established a commission basically to look after that art all the art from the old regime, even though it was from the old regime, it was precious because it was part of their culture. I want people to compare this with two things. Mao Zedong, 1960s, Cultural Revolution. How they dealt with old Chinese art and how they dealt with the new version of culture, with the Red God putting on plays. That's number one. Just keep this in your mind. Compare the two. Compare the uprising over the murder of African Americans with some people going into the shops and taking out TV sets and bringing them home. Compare that to what the Soviets just said. Just keep it in your mind, comparing. Although I'm not very clear about the definition of constructionism one of the categories he told us about in the context of socialist realism, after having a definition of constructionism, I am aware of futurism and traditionalism. I am from a standpoint of realism for the dialectical connection of all those three because they are part of the evolution of a nation. And I think they have to coexist and they have to proceed together in the history of the nation. Continuing on with where we left off, there were the three main traditions or movements going on. So there was constructivism. So constructivism was an emphasis on an industrialization of the art movement and specifically making art that could be constructed out of industrial materials and decorative styling that could be easily mass produced for the masses. So you'll see a lot of, for example, a perfect illustration of the constructivist style is a very famous poster from the Russian Civil War that is called Hit the Rights with the Red Wedge. I'm sure some of you have seen this before. It's sort of a red triangle hitting a white circle and piercing it. And it's made out of very simple designs, very geometric designs that could have easily been fabricated through mass production. So it was very, very well suited to an industrial setting. And it was a celebration of industrial culture. And so this also extended not only into two-dimensional art, but also into music and film and other forms as well, including fashion. Actually, one of the best forms of constructivist cinema that I recommend everybody go see is a film by Ziga Vertov, who made Man with a Movie Camera. It's a very, very interestingly edited film. It's way ahead of its time, but he really played around with unconventional approaches to editing that was very fast, very loose, lots of interesting side cuts and things and trying to form connections with different ideas, and different visuals bouncing together. 
So I really recommend everybody go see that movie. It's a fantastic movie. That leads us into futurism. So the futurists basically argued for a total break with traditional art styles completely in order to find something new that had never been done before, in order to break with the old society. These futurists were often the ones who were most advocating for the destruction of old czarist artwork and culture and cultural relics and things like that. Ultimately, they were not actually particularly chosen, but a lot of their stuff was very influential, especially in the development of Soviet science fiction, which was actually quite influential there. And this sort of utopian imagining of the future was very pervasive going forward. And then that leads us into traditionalism. So traditionalism, you might think this is like conservative or counter-revolutionary, but that isn't exactly how they viewed it at the time. Traditionalism argued for incorporating traditional styles that were familiar to the masses that ordinary Russian people would be able to connect with in a very real way, but then readjusting those things in order to have proletarian values. So the socialist realism movement sort of became a synthesis of these competing strains, although the dominant artistic form was more traditional in the sense that it was a mixture of idealism and realism blended together incorporating Soviet and socialist values and ideals with a more realistic art style, presenting things as they are and sort of down to earth. The other strains, constructivism and futurism, began to lose traction as time went on, as the Civil War ended, and things became a little bit more of a regimented setup where they became the model to strive for and everybody tried to follow. But things varied quite wildly depending on whether you were in Russia in particular, if you were in other Soviet countries. And also socialist realism did take off, especially after the NEP in the USSR, but also in Mao's China. They had their own version of socialist realism and in the DPRK and Vietnam. The DPRK actually still practices this today. They actually do follow the Soviet model in particular. They do incorporate elements of traditional Korean culture and mix those with revolutionary slogans and revolutionary themes. Okay. Question or statement? Was these modern artists who were very radical and futuristic, were they ideologically what we would suggest call less communist or ultra left? In some cases, yes, but also you have to realize that these strains also existed within the Bolshevik party as well, especially early on. It wasn't as clear-cut as we might see it with hindsight. There weren't just three factions that all had completely separate ideas. There was a lot of mixing of different ideas, and not everybody was completely on the extremes of these three areas. I think I heard from what you were saying that in social realism, the one that really won out was traditionalism. So if constructivism and futurism looked like more progressive art forms, what were the progressive elements of social realism? Was it the slogans and the message of it? You can find plenty of examples of socialist realist artwork out there that will give you a good idea of what it is if you just Google it. Socialist realism was not traditionalism. The two things are not the same. In terms of the representation of the general style, it tended to veer towards more realistic, which you could say is more traditional in terms of the entire Western art tradition, which tended to focus on realism. But the overall themes of the artwork were still extremely revolutionary and also focused on working class people. Many of the themes that you would see within socialist realism would be people at work, 
people farming, people working in factories. You'd have celebrations of different achievements that the country had made. If they made a new railway or something like that, they might make some art to commemorate that. The themes were still very, very progressive, even though they did confine themselves, I think, a little bit too rigidly, in my opinion, to a very, very set notion of what good socialist realist art could be. I'm going to get into criticisms of the movement later on, but we shouldn't mistake traditionalism with socialist realism, even though I would say it was the dominant force. It was not the only one. I'd like to ask, trying to form an understanding of the party line, what is the importance of analyzing art and of socialist realism in general for Marxist Lenin? From a Marxist perspective, culture is part of the superstructure that is shaped by material conditions in any society, regardless of whether it's socialist or not. But also, culture then goes around to reflect those material conditions and influence those material conditions. So from a Marxist standpoint, we have to take a dialectical approach and a class-based approach to artwork. For example, in a bourgeois country, the art overwhelmingly reflects bourgeois and capitalist values because they want to reproduce the culture that keeps the existing power structure in place. And so it would make sense if you're analyzing it from a class perspective to emphasize working class culture over bourgeois culture in a dictatorship of the proletariat the same way that we see in a capitalist country. Those things happen in reverse. I have two quick questions. One is, would you say brutalist architecture counts an area where constructivism somewhat remained after the revolution? And also, I know, as you said, socialist realism won off and became the dominant art form. But if artists wanted to do other forms of art, are they allowed to? Would they be given resources to do their art? Let's mm -hmm. be realistic. In the West, under capitalism, art was something for the wealthy. From the time of the Middle Ages, or maybe even before, from the time of Greece and Rome, the dominant class was the wealthy, was the ruling class. They paid and they subsidized artists to do art for them. It happened during the church. In the Middle Ages, the same thing. On the capitalism, generally, the wealthy hire artists to paint portraits of their families, of themselves. The same way of thinking. People who want to do art other than for the ruling class, they're starving. They don't get any help. Now let's look at the other side of the coin. On the other side of the coin, you have people under socialism, like in the Soviet Union, Artists were paid by the government that was represented by workers and peasants. This is the theory that goes behind it. So they were going to support their culture, the working class. Why should the working class support art that doesn't represent their lives? That's the way they look at it. So under socialism, those kind of people are not going to be supported, just like under capitalism, the workers aren't not going to be supported. The same kind of thing. That's my view. What is your view, comrade? Going off the first question, the brutalist architecture movement was definitely influenced by constructivism. A lot of people don't realize that the brutalist architecture movement was sort of necessary at the time because they were building up after World War II. There were millions and millions of people who didn't have access to shelter at the time, and they needed to house as many people as possible, as quickly as possible. 
So what you actually see during the Stalin period, before World War II, the government's priority was providing housing for everybody. But rather than a brutalist architecture style, the dominant architecture style for housing was known as Stalinkas. They were actually quite beautiful brick buildings that were laid out with individual bricks. They would have nice tile roofs and things like that. They obviously took a lot longer to build and they were more expensive, but they definitely had a lot more durability. They lasted far longer than the later models that would come to be known as Khrushchevkas, named after Khrushchev. Regarding the second question, I'm going to get into that later on when I talk about the conclusion. I just want to add to something Comrade was saying with music and how it relates to tradition with the DPRK. The USSR did the same thing, like the songs Karyunka, Echiablochka, those are all old, old folk songs that they revolutionized. And the song Smuglyanka, which isn't really a folk song, but it talks about Moldovan girls gathering grapes, and Moldova is known for wine and grapes. Figured that was relevant to just... Right. That's a, great, that's a great point. Thank you. All right. So we've gone through the three major art strains. Towards the end of the NEP is really when socialist realism began to take the dominant form within the Soviet Union. And then this was sort of codified shortly afterwards with four guiding principles of socialist realism. So the four guiding principles were, one, it must be proletarian artwork. It must be art that is relevant to the workers and understandable to them. It must be typical. By that, they mean scenes of everyday life of the people. So obviously no depictions of fancy bourgeois people or advertising and that kind of thing. It must be realistic in the representational sense. This did kind of put the lid on a lot of forms of constructivism and futurism that were taking off with their more abstract geometric designs and things like that. So they put an emphasis on realism because they wanted it to be as understandable to the common people as possible. Again, they may have gone too far with this. I'll get into that. And then number four, it must be partisan. So it must support the aims of the state and the party. After this point, after they finished with the Civil War and the Soviets had maintained their power base, they set about with a cultural rejuvenation or restoration among the Russian people. So one of the first things that they tried to do was try to provide access to culture that the average Russian person had never had before in their entire lives and neither had any of their ancestors. So some of the things that they did, they immediately began investing heavily in cinema in getting cinema projectors, in getting cameras. Usually they would import these from the West because they didn't have the industrial capacity to build them themselves at the time. They would import all of these things in mass, and then they would distribute them out to villages. A traveling projectionist would travel between villages and play different movies, and this was the first time any of these people had probably ever seen a movie in their entire lives. This combined with the literacy campaigns that the Soviets implemented, so more and more people would have access to novels, they would have access to poetry, they would have access to all kinds of literature. So that really prompted a rejuvenation of the Soviet literary movement. Socialist realism did also encompass literature as well, although I'm not a large expert in that field. And then it also included fashion, music, and other levels of the artistic world, like we talked about. And the Soviet government put a high priority on allowing every citizen, through subsidies and other government programs, to attend theater, film, opera, etc. multiple times a year through extensive funding of arts programs. Whereas before, you'd have to be extremely wealthy to ever attend an opera or a ballet or a theater performance or anything like that. The Soviets did put a high priority on making sure everybody had access to at least some of that every year. 
Also, artists became some of the most highly paid people within the Soviet Union. Artists and people with high technical skills were very, very well paid, and they would receive lots of government subsidies and benefits, which I'm sure if there's any artists listening, they are definitely boiling over in jealousy right now. Nowadays, if you're an artist, everyone basically just tells you to get a real job, and they tell you you're not actually working. If capitalism can't make money off of your artwork, then it's useless to them. So during World War II, socialist artwork obviously took a more patriotic turn. Stalin did, during World War II, loosen restrictions somewhat on depictions of religious artwork, partly to bolster morale among people, but also put a heavy emphasis on showing the real conditions of people at the front, things like that. We went over the points about the artwork having to depict proletarian life for everyday life, but we also spoke earlier about the Bolsheviks saving some of the capitalist or the elite artwork. How is that reconciled between the old artwork depicting Romanov or elitist life with the need for depicting more proletarian life? Just because they saved these artwork from destruction does not mean that they condone the message within that artwork. Like Lenin said in the quote that I mentioned before, it's important to build off of previous artistic traditions and movements, even if they don't match with the values of the time. First of all, you don't want to alienate the common person by destroying artwork that may have meaning to them. And then also building off of that, they don't want to destroy all this stuff. I mean, if you ever go into St. Petersburg, Leningrad, you'll see amazing artwork from before the revolutionary period that is absolutely beautiful. The churches and a lot of the artwork that survived is amazing. It is truly masterpiece level stuff. And I'm really glad that they didn't destroy it, even if politically you might not agree with the themes that it's depicting. I'd also like to answer that. Very important. Lenin was creating, and Stalin and the Bolshevik leadership, was creating a new society. They were creating what they called the Soviet man, the new society. So therefore, on the foundations of the old they built the new. But it was very interesting. They did not do what some people do today in the so-called left. They did not go back and destroy artwork from the past. They felt that was part of their heritage. Remember what Lenin said. He said, I am anti-Tsar. I'm not anti-Russia. This is a very important statement that he made just like communists in our country, should be anti-capitalist, not anti-America. Very similar, in my opinion. Was modern art banned? Modern art styles did have some influence within the Soviet Union. I'm going to get into that after the Stalin period. Did people take up art as a hobby? Was there anybody doing this after work, and what was the place of that in society? Obviously, if you wanted to paint something yourself, Nobody was going to stop you unless you were using it for nefarious purposes or anything like that. The Soviet Union heavily subsidized their art production industry. And so if you were to become an artist who would have a place of renown in the Soviet Union and not just an amateur, you would need to go to a Soviet school of art. You would have to learn the traditional socialist realist style. And there was censorship of other types of artwork and styles, but that was usually only at the higher levels of the artistic community where things were really getting circulated around. They were not 
cracking down on every single grandma who wanted to paint in their garden. So this leads us to the post-World War II period, Khrushchev period. Khrushchev's stance towards art in the Soviet Union was a bit different. The most important thing to understand was Khrushchev was, I would say, more lenient towards non-socialist realist forms of art in some ways. He definitely didn't completely open the floodgates to Western media, Western influence. Under Khrushchev, socialist realism was still the dominant and government-endorsed variety of artwork. They did, to a certain extent, allow some amounts of other types of styles and experimentation in terms of more abstract or more modern art styles a little bit more than under the Stalin period. After Khrushchev was ousted from power, they returned to the traditional socialist realism pathway. This didn't mean that there was no further experimentation or development of the socialist realist style. It was an incredibly diverse movement in the Soviet Union, and also very dramatically depending on what country you were in. Obviously, every culture brings its own contributions to the table. And if we're only talking about Russia, we're kind of missing out on a lot of the picture. We should also be talking about China, Vietnam, Korea. All these places had amazing and interesting art movements I don't particularly have time to get into at the moment. But also we should talk about socialist artwork outside of the Eastern Bloc and outside of Asia as well, because there's some amazing and very, very interesting artwork that comes from other countries that were never formally socialist, such as Latin America. Mexico has some amazing murals and other left-wing working-class artwork that was not officially part of the socialist realist style. It's very, very interesting. This leads me into this conclusion. I would say socialist realism is very misunderstood in the West today. If you look at any sort of Western analysis of socialist realism, they'll portray it as extremely stuffy, having a lack of diversity, a lack of any creative expression. They'll say, oh, it's just a matter of glorifying leaders. I'm not going to say that everything was perfect there because there were many depictions of leaders. For example, they might paint a painting of Lenin or Stalin, but in any country, pretty much, there are plenty of artistic depictions of leaders all over the place. But nobody really questions that. But then, of course, if it's on a socialist country, it becomes part of a nefarious cult of personality. Everyone's only allowed to paint pictures of Stalin or else they'll be executed, which is just ridiculous because the vast majority of socialist realist artwork did not depict party leaders or anything like that. It depicted working class people who were not named doing work and celebrating that work. My main criticism of the socialist realist movement within the Soviet Union was perhaps that they didn't allow other forms of left-wing ideas to be expressed in other ways. Because I think the realistic portion of it was overly strict. And part of this was, I would say, it was good intentions because they wanted their artwork to be intelligible and understandable by the average person. And sometimes an abstract painting is very nebulous and nobody will get it. But I think that they were probably too strict and this actually did cause a lot of feelings of disillusionment and feelings of staleness within the Soviet artistic sphere. They definitely could have done with not allowing celebrations of bourgeois themes or bourgeois morality in their artwork, but just in terms of stylistic choices. I think that if you look around the world, there's plenty of left-wing artistic traditions that are more abstract or more diverse than pure realism. 
that also communicate left-wing themes. If you look at, for example, in Mexico, the murals that they paint, they're not realistic. They portray people in more fanciful or almost cartoon-like depictions, but they're still beautiful artistic works and they have great messages. Overall, it was quite an amazing artistic movement, obviously very working class, and I really respect that. I think there were some criticisms that we can probably make going forward, and that's where I'll wrap up the conclusion there. Thank you, comrade. Thank you for that. I have two things I want to mention before I go through the round robin. You go to the party website, and you see the murals of workers working in factories, farmers on the land. This is all our contribution by the communist movement in this country to socialist realism. So we had it all over the world. Every communist party was involved with it. Ours were also involved with the New Deal. The WPA projects, the murals that were paid by the government to paint murals in San Francisco. It happened. There's a famous one in New York. A lot of these have been painted over during the McCarthy period, the 50s. But remember, Picasso was a modern artist, and the WPC, the World Peace Council, uses his rendition of a dove as their international logo. And they did that since 1945. As far as art is concerned, literature, we have proletarian, you should write this down, proletarian literature. And some of the famous ones are Jews Without Money by Mike Gold. That's proletarian literature. Another one is called Burning the Valley. I just wanted to say it's really great that we're studying the arts and culture stuff. It really shows the progression of the party. And there's another mural in the U.S. by Cisqueros in L.A. on Olvera Street. It got painted over, but it's been restored. So when you come and visit L.A., you can come visit a communist mural. Thank you. I especially agree there towards the end where it was mentioned that there's art that's not driven by ideology, which is equally as important. An example would be there's music and paintings that celebrate love, that celebrate friendship, family. It just celebrates morality that doesn't always contradict ideology. And those things as well was embracing the Soviet Union, but it was more so centered around the workers because they had just had a revolution and it just continued on throughout the years. I want to add to that, Pete Seeger was famous, active in the communist movement for years. His rendition of a song from the Soviet Union about children, it's a famous children's song, and it's called, May There Always Be Mama, May There Always Be Me. And you don't hear any ideology in that song that's overt. But the thing is, a love for your mother and your father is important in that song. It was a famous Soviet song when I was there in the 70s. I thought it was really important when I was talking about how there was the three strands that eventually the more traditional aspect won out, even though it was a synthesis of all three. I was just thinking about it, and I think that that was one of the most important parts about socialist realism was that it wanted to be relatable. And I think that's one of the biggest reasons why the traditional aspect might have won out since they wanted it to be something that the average person can understand. And I just think that as communists, we tend to think about the future society a lot, and it's easy to maybe go ahead of the masses. So that's something we should always keep in mind, is that we got to keep it relatable and not go too far ahead. Very good point. Thank you. I was going to ask the comrade what the most important parallels are today in terms of how we can apply it to our current material condition. I think one of the most important things that we should recognize is that any 
art style can be progressive or reactionary, depending on how it's used. Just because, for example, the CIA-funded abstract artwork portrayed the Soviet Union as repressive doesn't mean that abstract art itself is reactionary or bourgeois or anything like that. It just it was used in that way. So I think with a certain amount of creativity, you can make any art style revolutionary. Somebody in the past, can fantasy be revolutionary? And I would say absolutely yes, just because fantasy in general as a genre tends to be fairly reactionary does not mean that you could subvert that trope. Any type of style that you like, whether it's abstract, realist, whatever, you can use that in a positive way. In Soviet Union, really brought up different cultures, and they were all involved. From 1970 to 1990, I was working with American-Soviet friendship, and people who would come here, unbelievable, just normal people were so artistic so different than what we know. Everybody was involved in art, and it was so beautiful. My question, actually, is art in relation to the national question in the Soviet Union. I think it's something that's not talked about in great detail or any um, the challenges and problems that were in it. The Soviet Union did heavily promote artwork and artistic styles by minorities within the Soviet Union. For example, Kazakhstani art, Mongolian art. They were not so strict about every single other nationality following their exact model. They allowed them a lot of freedom and expression to blend their own traditional artistic styles as well. So I just kind of quote from Che Guevara's Socialism and Man in Cuba. So Che Guevara starts, but we must not from the pontifical throne of realism at all costs condemn all art forms since the first half of the 19th century for we would then fall into the Proudhonian mistake of going back to the past, of putting a straitjacket on the artistic expression of the man who is being born in the process of making himself. What is needed is the development of an ideological cultural mechanism that permits both free inquiry and the uprooting of the weeds that multiply so easily in the fertilized soil of state subsidies. Thank you, Kamar, for that. That's Thank exactly, you. That's exactly my take on it. Beautifully said. One thing I did want to add is I thought it was interesting just in general about art in the Soviet Union. Synthetic music or synthetic sound was actually first started there with visual or graphic sound, something that beat everybody else to it. I also just want to agree with the sentiment that, yes, it was fantastic how USSR made art so accessible to the common person. But I also think that the entire reason why abstract and symbolic art were considered like unrelatable by the common person was just because the common person don't have the time to enjoy them, right? But I think in socialism, when people are given the freedom to enjoy art, to appreciate it, I think a lot of these can really benefit the people. I agree. The average cultural knowledge and taste of the average Soviet person increased massively over the course of the Soviet Union's history, but I feel that the artistic movements didn't keep up with that to a certain degree. Could we elaborate on the concept of the Soviet man, what it was and what its purpose was? The Soviet man was to replace man under the centuries of bourgeois rule. It was also to distinguish between the Russian man. I remember all those citizens who were born in the Soviet Union 
and even after 1991 when there was no Soviet Union. To this day, there was large people, numbers of people who had loyalty to the Soviet Union, not to Russia, not to capitalist Russia. So the Soviet man idea, Che Guevara wrote a book, a pamphlet actually, I urge people to get it, was put out by SDS when I was in SDS in 1969. Uh, the name of the book was Socialism and Man. Very interesting. Che basically goes into the whole idea of the Soviet man theory. I just wanted to add to the list of artists, Frida Kahlo, who was also married to Diego Rivera, Diego Rivera eventually being booted from the Communist Party of Mexico for his support for Trotsky. I wanted to ask and see if you had any recommendations for music that was influenced by socialist realism. I would recommend Eisner, the German musical genius Eisner. I think his first name was Hans. Hans Eisner, if you listen to his music, he wrote the national anthem for the German Democratic Republic. I urge people to play it. It is a beautiful melody. And the words were added later on. The words are great. I suggest you Google Arisen from the Ashes. That's the name of it. Arisen or Arise from the Ashes by Hans Eisler, German Democratic Republic. There's a couple of YouTube videos on it. I want to thank everybody for having the respect for waiting to the end and not getting off quickly. I always say it's like a lecture in a university. You listen to the lecture and then you leave. You don't leave in the middle of the lecture. It shows a disrespect. So I want to thank everybody and hope you have a good evening. Thank you.